0: Hello, 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 hello again, and welcome to the Wax and Wayne podcast. I am always, as your host, I'm Matt Carlson. Welcome again. This is four weeks, man. That's a month. We've been doing this a while, so I hope you've been here for the whole ride, and if you're just uh, tuning in, just checking it out, just finding out about us, I hope you're going back on Stitcher or the website or iTunes or whatever it is that you use to listen to these things, and I hope you're going back and getting caught up from the beginning. Um, you know, I... It, I told you last week, it's a thing that we're building one one listener at a time, and I am so excited, and so happy, and so thrilled at the feedback that we're getting, the the things that I'm hearing from people. Um, we've seen some a uh, couple of really solid, like hardcore fans already, and that's uh, that's really encouraging and really heartening. And I just uh, I just want to say thanks, man. I really really appreciate it. I started this thing with zero expectation other than just to have a place to sort of rant and rave into a microphone and have it for posterity and be able to share it with people out there in the world who love vinyl is really gratifying and really really awesome. That said, we're always trying to make that number of people that are a part of this thing, that are are involved in vinyl, that love vinyl, that are learning to love vinyl. I know I say this every week because I mean it. I want it to grow. I want to have. I want to have a bigger community. I want to have more people. We want to have more subscribers, more followers, more listeners. Please, if you're listening to us on iTunes, just hit the subscribe button. It just takes a second. If you enjoy the show, give us a review. You know, put some stars up there. Maybe say something nice. Um, it really does make a difference. The more that we, the more positive feedback we get in these platforms, the more likely we are to show up in somebody else's feed who may not know anything about us. And they may stumble on the show just simply because they like other music podcasts or like a couple other podcasts that revolve around the idea of vinyl or records. Um, you know, maybe some people who just kind of fall into it blindly. So anyway, I hope that uh, I hope that you'll share it with people. I hope you'll review it. I hope you'll say nice things about us. Don't lie if, you, if you're if you bored and you don't like the show. Um, you know what Thumper used to say. If you can't say nothing nice, don't say nothing at all. Um and same thing on, on Stitcher. They've got a little uh, little thing where you can follow us in your series of stations right there on your phone. Um, that's a great way if you don't want to have to download the podcasts. Um, you can actually listen to those through a streaming service, right through your data plan on your phone. Um, and you can even give us a little thumbs up sort of likey thing that they kind of ganked off of Facebook or whatever. Um, and if you're downloading them, you know, put comments in the comments section. Send us an email. Let us know what you think. Um, we appreciate the support. Um, all right. All right. Enough fucking pandering now. So hello, um, it's been a week since we talked, huh? Um, it's been an it's been an interesting week. Um, it's sadly, it's been a week that's somewhat bereft of vinyl. I spent some time on uh, the weekend listening to some stuff I dug out. Um, I had a buddy who a couple weeks ago gave me a copy of Depeche Mode's "People Are People," which I don't think I've ever had on vinyl, and uh, had fun listening to that. I have a couple teenage girls, and the younger one, she. Uh, she enjoys that so we spent some time listening to that and um I've got another daughter who's really into a band called Beirut actually they're both really into it and uh, <coughs> excuse me Jesus Christ and um and she uh that was her pick on uh, Saturday afternoon and um I spent some time spinning uh Yankee Hotel Foxtrot by Wilco this weekend I hadn't listened to that record in a long time and for those of you who have been paying attention to the podcast and to the blog, there's been a fair amount of Wilco talk lately what, with their 20th anniversary coming up and um, work has been super fucking busy because I would love to sit here and do this full time but I actually have to go and earn a living to pay my mortgage and feed my family so I've been doing a lot of that and um, and I also uh, also plan a couple bands and so there's been some busyness with that and so it, it's been kind of a light vinyl week, so there's not really a whole lot of like, hey man, here's what I'm spinning. It's totally fucking awesome. Um, but uh, I did I did get some some quality turntable time in this weekend, and that was good. And um, I'm running out of space though, man. I'm I'm uh, I haven't bought any records since the uh, since the trip to Dearborn two or three weeks ago, and and now it's um, I've got almost all of that stuff put away, and I literally I have. Like maybe twenty-five or thirty records in the little cabinet that I have right next to my stereo, and the shelves upstairs are pretty much completely full at this point. So I'm gonna have to take another trip um, to IKEA, and we should probably have a we should probably have an episode on storage, huh? We should probably talk about that, but um, it's not gonna be this episode. I get all kinds of fucking notes here in front of me, and none of them say anything about storage. This is just my rambling portion of the beginning of the program. Um, but yeah, I mean, my uh, my cats are completely full, which is a good thing, um, but they get kind of hard to, you guys know what I'm talking about, it gets kind of difficult to sift through that stuff and have enough room to really kind of browse properly and get records in and out without really giving them the squeeze, and of course, you know, if you pack those in there too tight, that's really shitty for your records, and we don't want that. Um, and I also, you know, the other thing that I would love to hear from you guys is, other than the little, like, portable boxes... What are you guys doing for seven inch storage? I don't have a ton of seven inches. This is not something that I've ever spent a lot of time collecting or a lot of time being like super excited about. But I'm, I'm more and more I'm finding that when I'm going to shops that this is the place that I'm really spending a lot more time than I used to. And I'd really like to kind of amp up my my seven inch and forty five collection. And um, I'd love to know what you guys are doing for storage. So will you please let me know? Find me on Twitter at Wax and Wayne Music. Uh, you can find us, if you search Wax and Waned Music on Facebook, you can send us an email to waxedandwaned, that's W-A-X-E-D, the word and, and A-N-D, W-A-N-E-D at gmail.com, waxedandwaned at gmail.com, or you can email us or comment to us right through the website, which is waxandwanemusic.com. Um, but I would really like to know, what are you guys doing for your vinyl storage, for your full-length records, your LPs, your 12 inches, what are you doing for 7 inches, um, I use the IKEA shelving, I know there are a lot of people who are down on that, I've had really good luck with it, I put it together well, I do use some wood glue, I don't use any of those crazy IKEA hacks, where like, I double reinforce, um, you know, I just use the Expedite shelves, which they have discontinued, but they've got some new ones, I can't remember the crazy Scandinavian name that they've got for it, but regardless, um, I, I've got, you know, I've got uh, like four of those shelving units that are pretty much completely full, and um, and I need to get another one. And then the problem is going to be that at that point I've run out of room. So um, I guess I'm going to have to start throwing books away. I just don't have a choice. So let's move on a little bit. Again, I hope you had a good week. I hope you've had a lot more vinyl time than I have. Again, what's our rule? If you're home, this should not be on. You should be listening to vinyl. If you have time to be listening to something and you are sitting in your home, turn this off. If you are making dinner, turn this off. Put on a record. Unless for some reason you're so far away from your turntable you can't possibly hear it in your kitchen. um, In which case, I will make the exception that you should be listening to my show. Other than that, you should be listening to vinyl at your house if you have time to listen to something. If you don't, um, then you're probably not listening to this at home. If you're in the car, if you're going for a walk, if you're going for a run, if you're out with the dog taking out the trash if you're sitting at work those are all perfectly good times to enjoy the beautiful wonderful sounds of my um silky smooth voice and my um ardent and um steadfast partially correct opinions um new uh new post on the site as of uh november 4th which was election day which um didn't really grow too great in my neck of the woods um you know, but we won't, we won't really get into that and bog it down. Um, so November 4th, I put up a new, uh, a second installment of dollar bin darlings. I don't know how many of you caught the first one. It, uh, it basically is a, is a column we're aiming to do weekly. And it's a regular thing where we profile a record that can likely be likely be picked up in your, uh, store's bargain bin probably in a 50 cent or dollar bin, sometimes maybe as much as two or three bucks. Um, you might even be able to get it at, uh, at a thrift shop or a Goodwill near you. Um, the idea is that if you're building a collection or if there's a record maybe that you've missed or a particular genre of music you're not super excited about, this is an inexpensive way to get what I think is a particularly great record um, or an entry point of a particularly great artist that can be had on the cheap and you can sort of build your collection that way. This is a great way to go out Get a record inexpensively especially if you're just getting into vinyl um this is an awesome awesome way for you to buy a few records find out how you go about actually putting a record on the turntable how you set your turntable up how you set your counterweight what you put your anti-skate setting to what your pa situation is um pa would be a preamp um you know, getting everything kind of dialed in so that your speakers are where you want it so that everything sounds really good. Um, and if you make a mistake on a record that costs you a dollar or two, it's pretty easy to replace and you're not doing it on some, you know, record that you spent 90 bucks on that you use your, you know, your birthday money on or some money from working overtime at your job or whatever, you know. Um, but mostly this is about encountering new music or music that maybe that you've you've sort of heard tangentially or that you're aware of, but you don't actually have it. And so in the first installment, um, I spent some time focusing on um, a particularly great Buck Owens record called uh, Tiger by the Tail. So you can go back and read that on the blog at Wax and Wayne Music. And this week, the um, the entry is about Elton John's uh, 1972 record, Honky Chateau. Um, I happen to think that between like 1970 or 71 and 1975, Elton John released a, a torrent of really... Just fucking sweet records. Um, So right before Honky Chateau came out in the fall of 71, um, another just absolutely peerless record called Mad Men Across the Water, which you probably know most famously for containing the songs Leave On and Tiny Dancer. Um, That's a beautiful record. Um, And that record came out just six months before Honky Chateau. Um, There are lots of people who don't put out two records in their entire career that are even close to that good. This guy puts two of them out in six months. Um, Some of the other records from that time frame that I think are really, really, really solid. That's a lot of reallys, isn't it? Uh, Some of the records that I think are really solid from that particular period are uh, Don't Shoot Me, I'm Only the Piano Player, uh, The Tumbleweed Connection, and Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, I think, are also really super tight records. Um, It's just that I think that Honky Chateau is the best of those records, and, and I see it regularly for a buck or two. And one of the things that I really love about Honky Chateau, and you can read a little more in-depth about this on the blog again, just just find us on waxandwaymusic.com. Um, but one of the reasons that I really love this record is that it's kind of all over the map, sonically. There are a ton of, of musical influences that are just sort of bouncing all over that seem to kind of be unrestrained and really, really, uh, sincere. And it's like there, it's like there are a million ideas happening at one time. And instead of that being a mess, it winds up being a really beautiful thing. So you wind up with a, a song like honky cat and a song like Hercules, which kind of book, which they don't kind of, they do bookend the record. One is the first and one is the last song on the record. And those two songs really kind of have like a kind of like, um, like a junk band um, backwoods New Orleans funk thing happening. Like they're very propulsive. Um, I think the line that I used in the article, let me see if I can find it. If If uh, Alan Toussaint had been raised in Anglican England, he might have written Honky Cat. Um, I'm not sure that that's totally true, but I, li- I like the imagery of that, that there is this kind of melding of this sort of white boy, English, blue-eyed soul thing going on with this really kind of furious and 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 again really intense and kind of unrestrained New Orleans thing that's sort of oozing out of Elton John and his songwriter songwriting partner Bernie Taupin. Um you know the the rest of the first side kind of kind of comes kind of comes back quite a bit. Um you know there's there's a couple ballads on there that are rather there's one called Mellow that I like quite a bit. And then there's kind of a white boy funk kind of thing called Susie and then the end of the first side culminates in um, Rocket Man, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Which I I think, even though I've probably heard it hundreds of times, I know I've heard it hundreds of times. I still think it's just a jam. I think it's a really I think it's a really awesome song. Um, I think it's really I think it's incredibly well written, and and the arrangements are perfect, and it's really well performed. And I don't care what a hackneyed um, piece of pop culture detritus. Elton John has become, I mean, I, I know he's, he's, he's not really a musician anymore. He's just an icon and he isn't really doing anything terribly. He's not, I shouldn't say he's not doing anything valuable. I don't mean that at all. What I mean is that he's not making music that's even close to being on caliber with this period that, that I'm talking about. Um, and so he's really just kind of a guy who's a thing. Um, he's a guy who plays shows and he's a guy who does his thing, but he's not making records like this anymore. He's not, He's not having these these periods of just bursts of creativity, and um, mo- most people don't have them at all. Let alone have them throughout their entire life, and so he's very fortunate to have this three or four year period. Um, and then on the second side, you get um, you get the one sort of clunker on the record, um, and you get a couple other songs that are real solid that are open side two, and then you and then you end things off with just two absolutely fucking beautiful and perfect, awesome songs. One is the aforementioned Hercules, which is, again, kind of like a a New Orleans junk band kind of a thing. Um, And the one before that is this really lovely and delicate um, ballad with a lot of stuff going on lyrically. There's just a bunch of little um, Easter eggs about class warfare and loneliness and being in a strange place and um, uh, feeling slighted. And there's all kinds of different holes that exist in in this song called "Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatters," which is a lyrically stunning. It's some of Bernie Taupin's best work. It's also it's also got this melody to it and this this kind of weird sort of rolling lilt that happens in it. Um. That is just so. It's so natural and organic, and it doesn't—it doesn't feel like a song normally feels, and that's the highest compliment that I can pay it. Um, it's really just a beautiful, beautiful thing, and I think it—I think those two songs are really just a marvelous and incredible way to end a record. Um, you know, this is one of those cases where this is a record that went like triple platinum. It went to number one, um, and like a lot of the '70s Elton John stuff, you know, it seemed like everybody's mom and aunt and big sister had a copy of this. And so, of course, a lot of them wind up back in circulation through record stores and um, thrift shops and, and, and you know, vintage places and, and things like that. So this is a record that you can get on the cheap because there were so many of them sold. And the same thing is true for Madman o- Across the Water and Tumbleweed Connection and, um, you know, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road and a bunch of other stuff from this period. And those are all great records, For you to grab for 50 cents or a buck. If you think you're even remotely interested in this. But if you think Elton John's a square. If you think Elton John's the guy who just wrote the Marilyn Monroe song that they used when when Princess Diana died. If you think Elton John is just the goofy guy who goes on tour with Billy Joel because he has crazy glasses. You need to go get yourself a copy of Honky Chateau. Sit down and listen to it a couple of times. And tell me that it's not a great fucking record. Because you're going to have a hard time convincing me that it's not a great fucking record. It's it's just amazing. I, I think it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing, and I think there's so much going on that you'd be hard pressed not to find something about it that you like. Um, there are country influences, there are straight-ahead rockers, there are 70s ballads. There's a little AM gold. There's some there's some funk. Um, you know, there's uh, there's terrific musicianship. There's awesome lyrics. There's some sweet harmonies. There's a there's a, a crackerjack horn section. It's all really, really good, man. I think you should check it out. Um, So it's Honky Chateau, it's from 1972, it's Elton John. If you don't have this, go out and buy it for a buck or two. If you do have it, the next time you see it in a bargain bin for a dollar or two, spend a hundred pennies, spend two hundred pennies, or whatever the store is asking. Buy it for somebody who has a turntable who you think doesn't own it. Because the chances are that if you know somebody who has a turntable and they love music, there's like a 90% chance they're going to enjoy that record. So it's worth it, go out. Buy it, find it, get it, listen to it. Let's move on to the news. This week, the Decemberists released a teaser video for the first single from their forthcoming record. The single is called Make You Better, and it's on a record that's coming out in January called What a Beautiful World, What a Terrible World. Excuse me, I got it backwards. What a Terrible World, What a Beautiful World. That record is their first since uh, The King is Dead, which came out in 2011. The record's gonna be out in um, the UK and Europe on uh, January 10th. And on January 20th via Capitol here in the States, um, I kind of liked the way that they announced that this was going to happen. Colin Malloy, the band's uh, frontman and primary songwriter, um, showed up during CMJ in Brooklyn um, 10 or 12 days ago and was busking near a subway stop during the CMJ Music Festival. And they painted a big mural along this uh, brick wall and... um, Put the cover art up and the name of the record, and this was kind of the way that they announced it to the world. And so, um, a lot of the folks on the interweb who, uh, you know, see stuff like this, and the folks who are at CMJ, all um, kind of get up into a, a tizzy, and justifiably so. I think the I think the Decemberists have made some some pretty great records, and um, I'm a big fan of The King Is Dead. I think that's a I think that, that's a great record. Um, I think that's a really really great record. So you can um, you can hear that song and see the teaser video. Read a little more about the record, see a track listing, and some European tour dates that are going to happen in the early part of 2015. And uh, see the artwork for that record over at the blog at waxandwaynemusic.com. This past weekend, on Saturday night, the august and uh, 40-year-old, I guess I don't know how august it is, since they've had Willie Nelson on five or six times, but the uh, much... um, Loved and critically acclaimed, and tent pole program for PBS weekend television, Austin City Limits, um, spent an hour broadcasting a concert that had recently been recorded for their program in Austin. Big surprise by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Now, I've talked about Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds a lot since I started this podcast and since I started this blog probably even more than I should have considering my level of fandom. I'm, I'm definitely a fan, but I've talked about them so much, you probably think that like they're my favorite band or something, and that would not be the case. I think they're awesome, but I think maybe I've spent a lot of time on them because there's just a lot fucking going on with them right now. Um, as I mentioned to you a few weeks ago, both on the blog and on the podcast, um, they're getting a big uh, reissue campaign over the next six or eight months where basically their whole back catalog is going to be reissued on vinyl through mute records. Um, there's a documentary that just came out um, in limited release and is working its way around the film circuit called 20 day, 20,000 days on earth. And now they've done this, uh, this Austin city limits thing. That's kind of a sort of a follow up and, and an exclamation point to the tour they did over the summer and early fall here in North America. Um, you can watch the whole thing either by going to the pbs.org site and getting it on Austin City Limits or you can go to our site at musiccom and you can check out the whole thing. You can watch the whole set. I don't know how long it's going to be up. They usually only put these up for a week or two, so I would get on it right now. Um, this has been up, again, since Monday. So you might only have a few days. I would I would really hurry and, and get out and, and, and snag this pretty quick. Um, you can also see a web-exclusive clip of this traditional folk number that they have been playing for a few years called stagger lee which is just this haunting fucking murder ballad that is just oh it's blistering it's terrifying it's um it's haunting it's gorgeous um somehow they make this murder ballad seem erotic it's just crazy but we've got both of those things up on the site so you can watch the full set Um, the full hour set of uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds on Austin City Limits that was broadcast first on uh, this past Saturday, November 1. Or um, in addition to that, you can also go and watch the uh, nine and a half minute version they do of Stagger Lee, which again, is just fucking stupefying how awesome it is. Um, Ty Siegel, who is like the new wonderkind of uh, indie rock, who is like prolific and chameleon-esque, and if you have not listened to his interview on WTF with Mark Marin, go do that. Uh, It's really good. He's a really interesting guy. He and Mark have a really interesting conversation, and um, you should totally check that out. Um, In fact, I I don't really know. uh, If you don't know much about Ty Siegel, this might be a great way to get introduced, because he just seems like a super good all-around dude who is just so fucking excited about music. And for me, that makes it really, really easy to understand why he's putting out one or two records every single year. Um, and on that note, um, he's announced that uh, his label, Drag City, a label that I really dig and respect, um, on November 18th is going to be releasing a compilation of uh, B-sides and non-album singles called Singles 2. Now, it's important to note That the S's, the one at the beginning of singles and the one at the end of singles, those S's are are dollar signs, which I think one can only describe as a pretty baller move. They're dollar signs, folks. So it's dollar sign, I-N-G-L-E, dollar sign, space, the number two, singles two. So again, this is a comp that's going to feature non-album singles and B-sides, basically that have been recorded... Um, From about 2011 to 2013, um, Drag City is actually releasing this fucker on four formats. Vinyl, which is what we care about here. Digital, CD, and cassette. And trust me, we're going to save this conversation about cassette tapes for another day. Because I had somebody ask me about this, I think on Twitter. And they asked me what I thought of the resurgence and and re-emergence of cassettes. And it was difficult to sum up my feelings in 140 characters. Um, I did it, um, probably in a more curt way than I would have liked. But I did it. And I, and I want to have this conversation, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to table that for a future date. Because we're going to run out of time today because there's a lot to cover. But um, long story short, um, we're going to have a conversation about the, the cassette resurgence later on. Um, but Ty Gold, November 18th, Singles 2, Dollar Signs, Drag City... Non-album, singles, B-sides, etc. Sweet comp. Um, If you like this guy's other work, I highly recommend you go out and pick this up. Um, Support Ty Siegel. Support uh, Drag City. uh, Plain and simple. Uh, On November 24th, the uh, Beatles, you probably have heard of them. They're four lads from Liverpool. They've they've done fairly well for themselves. Um, They are going to have four separate different compilations that are going to be reissued on 180-gram vinyl. Uh, The first two are the uh, now sort of ubiquitous um, record collector beginner set Red and Blue LPs. For those of you who have been living under a rock are less than 12 years old or who are just now getting into vinyl, um, those are um, essentially like a greatest hits via singles. The the Red collection um, goes up through, I think it's Paperback Writer, something in that Rubber Soul Revolver era kind of thing, like sixty-five-ish, and then the second half of their career, which is basically like you know revolver-ish up through Abbey Road and Let It Be, and it has a bunch of singles on it, and they're they're both two LP sets. Um, these are the kinds of things that I see everywhere. They're usually fairly inexpensive, and they're they're a great primer for new fans. Um, so those are going to get um, new pressings, and those are going to come out in um, like I said in November. They're also going to reissue. Um, The Love LP, which is the musical arrangements for the Cirque du Soleil program, the the show that, that was put together, um, that was first done in, in Las Vegas and has since uh, toured all over the world that started in 2006. And then the number one compilation, which is a collection of all their number one singles, obviously the vast majority of those, well, actually now that I think about it, all of them would be on either the red or the blue LPs. Um, but that was packaged together and done as a CD set several years ago, and now those are, those are being reissued now on vinyl. What I'm kind of curious about here, and I understand that they're the Beatles, and I understand that they're going to sell a bunch of these, and that, that, that moving inventory when you're talking about Beatles product is not really going to be a challenge. What I don't understand is I don't understand specifically with the red and blue LPs why this is necessary. Again, these are records that are generally speaking just a few dollars. They're not hard to come by. They're almost always in good shape. People have hung on to them. People have taken pretty good care of them. They made millions of them. I'm not exaggerating. They made fucking tens of millions of these things, and they're out there. I don't really know what the advantage is going to be of getting a new pressing. Um, they retail for $35. The pre-order prices that I've seen range from about 31 to 33 why would you spend thirty two or thirty three or thirty five dollars on a record that you could go and get just as well just as easily for six or five? Now I understand that it's going to be virgin vinyl. I get that it's going to be clean. I get that it's going to be 180 gram. I get that it's not beat up. But these are not it's not even an album. It's just a collection of songs. And you know as far as the love thing and the number one thing, whatever. You know, that, that's not my bailiwick. It's not how I listen to music typically. Um, and these are songs that, you know, again, I think the Beatles are, they're fucking great. I know that it's easy to rag on the Beatles and talk about how they're everywhere and it's too much. And, you know, are they really as great as everyone says they are? That's fucking nonsense. They're as great as everyone says they are. But you know what? I don't think that the world really needs a new version of the Red and Blue LPs. I don't really think that the world needed the number one comp to come out on vinyl again. I just don't think it's necessary. I'm sure there are people out there who are arguing with me right now. I was I was much more in line with all the mono reissues. I, I think that, that that's a totally separate discussion. Um, you know, but I'm sure there will be people out there who will buy them. And maybe you're one of those people and you just think that I'm an asshole. You're probably right. I am an asshole. It's true. Um, so anyway, those are coming out in November. Um, November 24th, to be exact. And again, that's the Red and Blue LPs, which are collections of singles. Those are two uh, LP sets on 180-gram vinyl. And then the uh, Cirque du Soleil show Love and the number one LP will also be out the same day on vinyl. Our last little bit of news this week is actually only sort of slightly related to vinyl and physical media. Um, And I want to talk about this because I think it's a fascinating look into the way that the music industry works. In the, present, in the present era that we're in. Um, on Monday, in a blog post, Taylor Swift and her people announced that um, her new album, 1989, which is just fucking tearing up the entire world, and if you have managed to avoid this, then I salute you, sir, and raise my glass. Um, but for most of you, you have probably run into this somewhere, whether it's in the car with your, ch- your kids or in the supermarket, or on hold, or uh, on the subway, somewhere. I'm sure you've run into this fucking thing. Um, this record is enormous. Um, it was pretty. Sh- we were pretty sure that we were going to get the first year ever that we didn't have a platinum LP, and then this thing sold 1.3 million copies in something like a week. Um, but what's really interesting is not how many copies of 1989 uh, Taylor Swift has, has, has moved. What's fascinating is, is that she told Spotify... The infamous streaming service that pretty famously does not does not compensate its its artists very well, if at all, uh, for the content that they provide for their service. Um, she she notified Spotify on Monday that not only would she not be submitting 1989 for use on their service, but she was going to be pulling all of her back catalog as well. Um, of course, immediately Spotify said that they knew that 1989 was going to be um, basically a delayed release on Spotify because they were going to try to move units at the beginning of the, the sales cycle for 1989, so for the first few weeks it was out. They knew they weren't going to get access to this, but they were surprised by the move to pull the rest of her catalog. Um, they did a couple things on social media to try to woo her back. Um, they tried to, you know, soft sell it and talk about how much they were going to miss her. And then they put up a statistic to talk about the the value that she provided to their service, and I think it might actually work. Um, it might it might counteract their argument. Spotify says, and again, I have no reason to, to doubt this, but I've not seen it verified anywhere else, so I'm just going to use their numbers. Spotify claims that they have 40 million regular users. They say that in the last month, in the last 30 days... 16 million of those 40 million users have streamed at least one Taylor Swift song. 40% of their users have listened to at least one T-Swizz number in the last month. That's astonishing. That is... That is unprecedented. To me, that is like the equivalent of Lucille Ball in 1958 saying, No, fuck it. We're not going to put our show on NBC anymore. Take it off the air. You just took 40, and I realize this is not the only thing that 40% of their users are listening to, but they're all listening to this one thing. And this doesn't even include this new record that's just fucking blowing up everywhere. And so Spotify now has to basically take the hit and say, okay, well, 40% of our users really like this one artist. Or are using this artist on a regular basis? I mean, we're only talking about the last month, and forty percent of their users have have spun at least one Taylor Swift song. So now, what happens if Katy Perry puts a new record out next year, and she decides to pull her whole back catalog, and Rihanna does the same? And there's a, I know there's a Beyonce thing that's coming out, I think in December, that's going to be like this big deluxe edition thing. So she pulls hers, and then, you know, you gradually work your way down the totem pole. Um. It may just simply be that that Taylor Swift is a, is this hot young pop star who's basically conquering the world, and she has enough cachet to make a splash by telling Spotify that listen, she did, we're not going to give you the privilege of using my music to you know just keep running up your bank accounts because you you know I don't I don't think she's doing it for, I don't think she's getting any moral high ground out of it I don't think she's I don't think she's saying well you've been fucking artists for a long time so we are not going to give you our stuff. I don't think that's what it's about. I think it's strictly an economic thing. I think she's saying, look, we don't you're not giving us the kind of money that, that we need, and we weren't gonna give you 1989 right away anyway. So you know what? Fuck it, just pull it all. Well, if other people make this realization and I suspect that that's a possibility. I mean I, I to be honest with you, I kinda wish for it, I kinda hope for it. I understand that there's a place for services like Spotify. Um but I also think that it it gets into this other issue that we've touched here on here before both on the blog and on the podcast. It gets into this idea that what we've done is we've basically said, okay, we're going to treat music like it is a commodity with no value to it. We, we have this service. We put it up. Yes, we have some monthly subscribers, but a lot of the people who are using our service aren't paying for it, and then there's a little bit of an ad, and artists aren't really compensated very well, and when they are compensated or they are compensated a little better, there isn't enough transparency in it, and they're not getting paid the kind of money that they would if they were being played on terrestrial radio. And yet there are a lot more users. And it's it's become this whole mess. Um, and to me, what's really fascinating about it is now you've got this young woman who is king of the mountain for the time being. And she has basically made a statement, whether she made it to make a statement or she made it just because it was good for her brand. And now you've basically got this opportunity with a series of other acts to make the same realization that I can make more money if I don't give my music to Spotify because people will have to buy it on iTunes because the the, the truth of the matter is even if you're Taylor Swift or Katy Perry or Rihanna or Beyonce or the Black Keys or whomever you might be but that's a real one of those is <laughs> one of these things is not like the other from Sesame Street isn't it with Black Keys in there but you know they're a big fucking deal if you're if you're like a big time artist and you're making sizable money from from Spotify even though you're being paid, you know, shit per per spin, you're getting so many spins that you're racking up some significant amount of revenue. You'd almost still be in a better spot if you said, "Okay, you know what? We're going to roll the dice and we realize that a certain percentage of the people who can't get us on Spotify are going to download this off the internet for free. But a handful of them are going to go out and they're going to spend 9.99 to buy it on iTunes or they might actually buy a CD or god forbid they would go out and buy it on vinyl if it's available. And so you may actually be seeing a way for artists to not only make a statement and try to deal with streaming services like Spotify, but also to you know, look at their own best interest in terms of and I'm certainly not worried about whether or not Taylor Swift is going to be okay. I think she's going to be fine. She's 25 years old. She's got more money than God. She's going to be fine. But I think it's interesting to see what will happen in the wake of this. I'm sure there will be a wave behind this decision. And I know a lot of people right now are just really focusing on the record itself. And they're focusing on her shift from being this sort of like young, lovely, pop country ingenue to try to moving herself into this realm of being, you know, kind of a young, hip, um, more like a pop star as opposed to a country actor, singer, songwriter. And there are much, much smarter people and much, much peop- people who are much better informed about her history to know that. Um, you know, you even as a casual observer of culture, you've picked up on that—that that that's the narrative with Taylor Swift. But for me, the really fascinating thing about this young lady right now is that she's basically driven a dagger um, into the into the torso of Spotify, and it, it will be interesting to see whether or not they pull that out and patch themselves up and move on. Or if other artists will come along behind her and and they will continue to to poke at that body. And and will it wind up eventually being something that leads to their downfall and their ruin? Um, I don't know. I'm not even sure as a music fan what to hope for. I mean, I I've sort of made up my mind and I've made my decisions about what I buy and how I buy it and how I listen to it. And I hope you have too, and I hope that this this podcast will help you learn more about that. Um but there are forty million people out there right now who are using Spotify, at least as they clarified, on a regular basis. They're regular Spotify users. And 40% of them have spun a Taylor Swift song in the last month. And now they can't do that anymore. And so the question becomes, where are they going to go? We are going to take just a quick little break, and then we'll be right back. Stick around. <music> I forgot to ask you guys, did you have a good Halloween? Did it go well? I don't know what it was like where you were. We, and I, I'm gonna give you the fucking mid Michigan weather report, but we had, um, we had pissy fucking weather. It was awful. It was, um, it was like 35 and rainy and, uh, super windy. And then it stopped raining for a while. And, um, during the day we got a little bit of snow. It didn't stick, but it was, it was really gross. It was really terrible. And uh, we didn't have very many trick or treaters. But uh, we did have a nice little party. I hope you had a good a good Halloween. But you know what that means? Halloween is over. And so now we've extended the fucking Christmas season. So literally on November 1st, instead of celebrating All Saints Day, um, like the Catholics used to do, what we do is we start celebrating Jesus and his birthday. And so we have this goddamn seven or eight-week cavalcade where all we do is we focus on Christmas. And that, could, that can really wear a guy down, you know? It can be a really negative thing. However, there are some benefits to this and that is that now you could start thinking about what you want to put on your holiday wish list. So, do you celebrate Hanukkah? Do you celebrate Kwanzaa? Do you celebrate uh, Ramadan? Do you celebrate uh, Christmas? Do you celebrate the winter solstice? Um, do you just have a big fucking New Year's party and get drunk? I don't know what you do. I don't know how you spend your holidays, but usually the people I know, um, whether they're religious or not, and I, I happen to not be, but they get together at the holidays and they... Um, they take some time off of work. They uh, they eat a little bit too much food. Um, they drink a fair amount of alcohol. And they uh, they trade gifts. And so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to spend the next few minutes kind of talking about some stuff that I have seen around that I'm pretty excited about that I think you might want to consider adding to your holiday wish list. Or if you're listening to this and you're thinking, hey, what do I get my record-loving loved one? Perhaps here are some some ideas for you. So let's let's get rolling. So the first one... Is uh, this thing that came out on Knitting Factory Records, and this has been out a few weeks now. And this is this uh, th- this requires a lot of unpacking. Um, so the first thing is this is a uh, this is the third in a series of box sets being done to commemorate the awesome, just overwhelmingly dope work. Yes, I said dope work of uh, a fella named Fella Cootie. I, oh my god! I did that. It fella, and then I said fella. I, I have this philosophy that that puns don't happen. Um, there are no um, inadvertent puns. They're all intentional. So even when you have a slip of the tongue like that, your brain knew what you were doing, even though you weren't fucking aware of it. So let's go back and let's try that again. Take two. So there's this awesome guy who's like the superstar, um, Superman of Afrobeat, and his name is Fela Kuti, and he's awesome, and if you don't know who he is, uh, you should watch an awesome documentary that I think is still available on Netflix and Hulu called Music is the Weapon, and if you do know who he is, you probably already know about this thing, but it's fucking sweet, and it's and it's super awesome, and it just so happens that this box set was curated by a fella named Brian Eno. See, I said fella again. I did it again. We're going to keep going anyway. Um, Brian Eno was asked to curate a box set and put together some records that he thought really encapsulated why he was excited about Fela And so Brian Eno said, quote, uh, Before about mid-September of 1973, I didn't have much interest in polyrhythmic music. I didn't really get it. That all changed one autumn day when I walked into Stern's record shop off Tottenham Court Road. For reasons I've long forgotten, I left the store with an album that was to change my life dramatically. It was Aphrodisiac by Phila Ransom Kuti, as he was then known, and his band The Africa Seventy. I remember the first time I listened and how dazzled I was by the groove and the rhythmic complexity and by the raw, harsh sounds of the brass, like Mack trucks hurtling across highways with their horns blaring. Everything I thought I knew about music at that point was up in the air again. The sheer force and drive of this wild Nigerian stuff blew my mind. My friend Robert Wyatt called it jazz from another planet, and I thought I suddenly understood the point of jazz. Until then, an almost alien music to me. So there's this just amazing collection that he's put together with a bunch of um, mid-'70s uh, Fela Kuti and the, Africans, and the Africa 70 stuff that's that's come together on this set that just looks like it's unbelievable. It's been remastered. Uh, there are some really nice liner notes. There's a booklet. Um, there's there's a poster that comes with it. This goes for 119 bucks. It's out on Knitting Factory Records. If you're interested in Afrobeat, if you're interested in the history of... Um, popular african music from the second half of the 20th century your your research is really it's got a, it in my mind um Fila kuti is kind of the nile of that situation it's it's just a, it's a really man it's just that is something i'm really excited about and i'm really hoping that um i'm really hoping that my wife is listening right now <laughs> um if you are into the whole riot girl thing or um, female punk music. It, you're obviously really excited about the reforming of Slater Kenny, um, and they've got a box set that's just recently come out. In fact, it was the box set that um, that 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 actually was kind of had an Easter egg in it for the new record that that they have coming out next month. Oh, excuse me, in January. And um, they've got uh, this this set called Start Together, which is uh, remastered editions of seven individual Slater Kenny records. And this is out on Sub Pop. And uh, it comes with a 44-page hardcover book, and the whole the whole thing's been remastered for release. Um, and it's it's basically been curated by the band, and um, it looks like a really really nice set. It's 139 bucks. It's not cheap, uh, but again, we're asking for these for for the holidays, and this is kind of a, a special time. And some of these are going to be a little more expensive than stuff I would normally recommend or get excited about because it's a special time of year, you know, because Jesus is the reason for the season, folks. Um, so I think you. You know, if you're into the the whole female punk movement, or just punk in general, specifically punk from the late part of the 20th century, and you really like the sub pop stuff, um, if you've got a, a teenage daughter who who seems like maybe she's looking for something against which to rebel, um, this this might be a great way for her to get into the riot girl thing in the indie rock scene of the Pacific Northwest, um, circa 1994. Um, which is when the band started. So that's uh, Slater Kenny start together. It's 139 bucks. It's on Sub Pop. That's available now. I would uh, I would recommend that you uh, that you check that business out. Um, the next one is a is a set that's near and dear to my heart because this is a band that I have loved. Oftentimes on these box sets, you find bands that you didn't know about or you didn't know much about them, and they weren't a band that you were really excited about when they were a thing when they were making music. And this next one is about a band that I really loved. While they were a very viable unit, um, it's a band called Bedhead from uh, Dallas, Texas, and they're kind of um, they could best be described as as slowcore. Um, so they've they've often kind of been lumped in with bands like Codeine, and I think even a little bit American Analog Set and Low and some bands like that, and they share a little bit of that DNA, but they're they're definitely their own kind of thing. They there's a little bit of um, there's a little bit of psychedelia in there somewhere, that's really like a like a muted kind of psych. Um, there's there's really whispery lyrics. Um, at times they they really stretch out into kind of these long freeform things that, that that sounds really awful, but they're really that's totally not my thing, but I think they're really great. And yet they write these really good songs. They have these really these really kind of interesting and surprisingly intricate, even though they're seemingly simple guitar lines that kind of weave in and out of each other um, that are really, really, they seem almost rudimentary, but they work so, so well. And um, the Great Chicago Label Numero group is reissuing kind of a comprehensive bedhead set, and they're going to be selling these individually, but what I think you should put on your Christmas list this year, if this is something you might be interested in, is they have a deluxe 5-LP box set that is limited to 2,000 copies. It includes the band's um, three full-length records, which are Transaction De Novo, Beheaded, and What Fun Life Was. It also includes um, a double LP that is filled with outtakes, stuff from EPs and singles, and some of these are records that I already own on vinyl, and I am planning on picking this thing up. It comes with... um, a 40-page book, and it's got this big essay and a bunch of photographs and um, a whole bunch of posters from from stuff that are that are photographed in in the book. And um, it also comes with all the lyrics. And I just think this is a this is a really nice set. It's really well put together, and it's also a really good deal. It's 80 bucks. Mm-hmm. Numero packages their stuff really well. I have a couple of their box sets. They do things right. The pressings are really good. The artwork is really nice. And this is a band that I really, really, I really like. And I think that they just got missed and a lot of people didn't get it or didn't like it. It was the wrong place at the wrong time. I mean, this is a band making, again, we'll use that word that I, that I don't really like. I think it's kind of an umbrella for slower and unusual music from that time period, but slowcore. And this is happening like in the wake of like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and Smashing Pumpkins. And they're just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, and I think it's a shame. And they were, you know, they were on a couple of really small labels, and they were distributed by Touch and Go. And yeah, you know, they got they got some pub out there. But and and since the two brothers who were involved have gone on to form another band that I really like called The New Year. But I think Bedhead's better. Um. And so Bedhead, 1992 to 1998 is the name of the set. It's basically their full discography. It's a five LP set with a sweet looking booklet. It's coming out on. Later this month on Numero Group, and it's only eighty bucks. So put that on your uh, put that on your wish list. Do you have a Johnny Cash fan on your on your Christmas list? Are you a Johnny Cash fan? Um, you know, I this is another guy where it's it's almost a little bit like the Beatles, where people have talked about him so much, and he's kind of overexposed. And even though he's Johnny Cash and he's and he's awesome, um, you know, he's kind of everywhere. But if you've if you've got a hankering for the man in black or you know somebody on your list who does this is this is a pretty compelling thing that's coming out it's it's um it's called unearthed and it is the full box set of all of the american recordings that he did with Rick Rubin and um it's all six records it's coming out december 9th and it includes everything from um, American Recordings to, uh, up through the end, which is American Six Ain't Got No Grave. And, you know, my personal favorite of those, those records, which is American Four, The Man Comes Around, which is, which is really the last record that Johnny Cash made. And I, I have kind of a, yeah, I, I, I understand where people are coming from when they talk about the fact that they're sick of Johnny Cash and they think he's overrated and that's, that's all fine. But I think sometimes it gets a little carried away. And so this is a thing where if you're a Johnny Cash fan, or you know somebody in your life who is into vinyl and they love it, this seems like a pretty sweet, pretty sweet set. Um, Rick Rubin did supervise all of the uh, lacquers and the cuttings and the pressing, and um, made sure all the masters were in the right, the right place. And this is going to be a repressing that that is they're saying is going to be limited edition. But you know what? Isn't everything now? Aren't we just limited editioning everything until we need more editions? Um, I won't get off on that train again. Um, Another John who I think is a fucking genius, and I'm only about the eight millionth person to say that, is a, a guy named John Coltrane. You may know him. He played the saxophone. Um, he did this remarkable recording of a, of a two-night set that he and his uh, band put together at the time, which was a, a quartet which featured Coltrane and then McCoy Tyner, Elvin Jones, and Jimmy Garrison. And they did a two-night stand, November 1 and 2 of 1961, at the Village Vanguard in Greenwich Village in New York City. And it was recorded by the inimitable Rudy Van Gelder. And th- this set was released, God, 15 years ago, I'm guessing. I should I should probably look this up, but it, it doesn't matter. A bunch of years ago, this came out in a really nice CD set. And I and I had this on CD and I listened to this so much. For about four years. 50% of the jazz I consumed was this was this recording. Um it's it's amazing. It it's just it is amazing that people can make this music on the spot in a concert setting in in one shot and just do it so effortlessly and so beautiful. Um and it's just it's it, it I I I'm at a loss for words because it's so fucking awesome and I'm so thrilled that these are coming out on vinyl. Um, it's a three LP set. Um, these are being pressed on 140 gram vinyl, so it's so nice to be able to tell you that something is coming out on something other than 180 gram. And I'll bet you that this 140 gram set sounds fucking great because if it was cut right and it was pressed right and it was mastered properly and they used the original tapes and everything sounds good, I'll bet you it's gonna sound tight. It's gonna sound sweet. Uh, I should also mention that they were actually a quintet. I just noticed in my notes here, Eric Dolphy plays on this. Another guy you probably have heard of. Um, and this is at a point where um, Coltrane's really starting to take off in a different direction. And so you're going to get a little bit of that early stuff where it's a little more in the Miles Davis vein. And then there's going to be some stuff where it's where it starts to get a little crazy. Um, and it's a, it's a really intimate recording. It's really... Um, You can sort of feel the room the way that it's recorded, because it's Rudy Van Gelder, and he's fucking awesome. And this is the first time that this has ever come out on vinyl. The first fucking time ever. And I can't tell you how excited I am that this is coming out. And if I don't get this, and it's not underneath my holiday tree, um, I will be running out the day after we celebrate Christmas with my family, and I will be buying this on vinyl, because I cannot wait to get my hands on this. This is coming out. On Doxy Records, it will be sixty bucks. It's a three LP set. It's John Coltrane live at the Village Vanguard, November one and two. It's uh, he and his band. And boy, if you're looking for a reason to get into jazz, goddamn, there's there's a lot worse places you could jump in. Um, so there you go. Uh, this is this next one is a set that I actually have, and I'm gonna pub the folks at Numero Group again. Uh, this is called Syl Johnson: The Complete Mythology. And, um, Syl Johnson was a, was a guy who was kind of in the vein of Sam and Dave and, you know, um, Otis Redding and Wilson Pickett, maybe even a little bit of like Sam Cook meets James Brown kind of a thing. Um, and I happened to find out about him, you know, through the folks at Numero group, I, I wasn't keen on this before it wasn't, wasn't hip to this before, um, before the folks at Numero started re-releasing his stuff and they, before they put this set out, they, they put out a record called Dresses Too Short, which I picked up at, at a shop um, in Grand Rapids, uh, kind of on a whim, just because I thought it looked sweet, and I had heard a couple songs on the website, and I was kind of excited about it, and it, it's so good. Like, it's amazing to me this guy wasn't enormous. Like, it is shocking to me that this guy wasn't Otis Redding, Wilson Pickett famous. Um, he should have been. Um, He's from Chicago. And um, this is a, a six LP and four CD set um, of his recording and his, all his output from 1959 to 1972. It's 81 songs. There's a, there's a big 12 inch by 12 inch booklet. There's a huge biography that's really well written. That's really, really good. Um, there's a bunch of photos. There's this really fascinating index of all the times that Syl Johnson music has been sampled, whether he got paid for it or not, it's every moment that they could find that a Syl Johnson clip got sampled for something. Um, and it's it it's so good. And it, this is $80. It's six LPs and four CDs, and it's 80 bucks. You can order it right from their website. They do such a good job with these, and it's really interesting to watch the arc of this guy as he goes from this kind of like smooth soul thing up into like sort of like angry funk brother kind of thing and there's just like there's this really great progression that happens if you listen to them chronologically um and it's just and his first record which is just the name of it is escaping me right now and it's got this like great present on the front and there's like a like a bow wrapped on it and this it's just it's so good that is that that record alone is worth this the 80 bucks it's just amazing um Please, if you have somebody who loves soul music or R&B in your life or you are one of those people and you don't know about Sil Johnson, I implore you, at least go buy dresses too short. But please, spend the 80 bucks, go get this. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. It's so good. Another one that I... This one, I'm not even going to wait until Christmas. I'm just going to get it now. I talked to you about this in the first episode. Um, Wilco has a set coming out called Alpha Mike Foxtrot. It's a set of rarities, um, b-sides, outtakes, demos covers all kinds of stuff that's coming out they've been running around um they were just on Fallon last week and they did a couple songs they did a, a song of theirs that came out on a, on a web only EP uh and the song is called a uh, magazine called Sunset and it was recorded during the sessions for Yankee Hotel Foxtrot and it's a song that I've really loved for a long long time and that's just one of the songs that's on here but there's stuff on there for their from their entire catalog um they, they do a bunch of covers, they they have different versions and different uh, takes of a lot of different songs, working demos, but the most exciting thing about this are all these songs that have been kind of floating out around uh, the bootleg community, the internet community, the web pages and forums around the, the Wilco WorldNet site, and you can finally get these on vinyl, and um, this is coming out in November, and it's 75 bucks. And it's four LPs and it will come with a digital download. There's no physical CDs that come with it. And there's also a 36 page booklet. Um, The booklet is essentially kind of a a running commentary from the band as they go through and kind of talk about and look at um, this music over a period of time. And so you're going to hear from band members, people in the extended Wilco family, um, different people who worked on the recordings and and were, were part of the process. Um, and it's, um, yeah, I mean, this is a band that I've loved for a really long time. They're celebrating their 75th anniversary. And if you're into the all country thing, if you're a Wilco fan, if, um, you know, if you, if, if you like this stuff, if you were, if you were into uncle Tupelo, I'm sure you're aware of this. Um, this is, this is kind of a no brainer here. It's 75 bucks. It's on not such none such. You can order it now on their website. It comes out in a couple of weeks and, um. November 17th to be exact, and um, you can pre-order that shit right now. I've got a couple more of these left, but I see that we're running a little long on time, and uh, I don't wanna take advantage, so I'm gonna save the last two for next week, and then I've also got a bunch of accessories and equipment that you can add to your uh, wish list, and um, and add you know, some ideas to your family for stocking stuffers and uh, things like that to put under the tree for the big holiday season. So we're going to take another quick little break, and then we're going to come back with our last segment, which is the reissue wish list. And we'll be back in just a minute. Thanks for sticking around. Welcome back to the Wax and Wayne Podcast. Again, I'm your host, Matt Carlson. Thanks so much for being with us. I apologize for running a little over this week. So let's get on to this. We are into our last segment of this week's episode. This is the uh, reissue wish list. Last week, I hit on James' 1993 record Laid. This week, I'm going to go back to 1968. And I'm going to give you what for many people, specifically those who are sort of Brit pop and... um, Psych and mod collectors, uh, what is a holy grail? Uh, this is a record called Would You Believe by a guy named uh, Billy Nichols. And this record was intended to be like the British Pet Sounds. Um, it was slated to come out in 1968 on Immediate Records. And Immediate was a label that was home to the Small Faces and the Nice and then eventually Humble Pie and uh, another guy who was kind of a sort of a psych pop, Baroque pop. Um, Singer songwriter named Chris Farlow and a bunch of other bands. And it was actually owned and run um, by Andrew Lug Oldham, who had sort of made his name and his fortune by being the manager of this, the uh, Rolling Stones. And this record, like I said, you know, Nichols and, and Oldham really wanted it to be like a, a British Pet Sounds. And the label started to run into financial difficulties and the, the record became very expensive and very difficult. And, um, only wound up receiving a promotional run of 100 copies. And so, for 30 years, this record basically existed in 100 promo copies. And that was it. Um, This is a record that, um, when you hear it, if you haven't heard it already, uh, your mind's going to be blown. Specifically, if you're into bands like The Zombies, The Hollies, The Left Bank the small faces and even some of the early BG stuff. Uh, this is very, very reminiscent of all of that stuff. It's, it's also, I think there's a little bit of, uh, the Kinks, um, village green preservation society and Arthur stuff in there. Um, this is really great kind of Baroque psych pop. Um, you know, Steve Marriott and Ronnie Lane from the small faces were very involved in the, in the process of making this record. They were friends with Billy Nichols. Um, They both play on the record. They both help produce the record. You can hear Steve Marriott singing backup vocals on the uh, title track, which is called Would You Believe, which you heard the beginning of on the way into the segment. But the session also featured work from John Paul Jones of Led Zeppelin, uh, Kenny Jones and Ian McLagan, who were also members of The Small Faces, and then Nikki Hopkins, who did work with The Kinks and The Stones. And like I said, this, this record sat around for 30 years, and finally Billy Nichols decided in 1998 he was tired of having this thing be this famous mythic thing, kind of like Brian Wilson's Smile was for a really long time. And so he decided to put out a CD version of this on his own label called Southwest Records. And so um, there were a couple different editions and versions of that, some of which even included, like, some extra bonus tracks and some some different stuff. Um, but it didn't really have much of a... Um, and didn't really have much of a push on vinyl, and it was it was reissued the same year by this record uh, label called Tenth, and it was a pretty limited limited run, and a, and a limited pressing. Um, before we go into the the rest of the story about this, what am I fucking Paul Harvey? Um, let's let's hear another quick little clip uh, from the from the record again. This is Billy Nichols. Would you believe? And uh, we're going to listen to a little bit of what would have been the second single from this record. It's called Daytime. Yeah. That would have been the second single on the record. That's called "Daytime Girl," and um, this is a record that, again, for 30 years, there were a hundred copies of this thing floating around, and so it became this giant holy grail for psych and and, and mod collectors and Merseybeat collectors. And it recently, like in the last few years, original pressings of this record have gone for more than ten grand. Right now, the least expensive version of this is a 2007 reissue. That's a two LP version long since out of print. It was an initial run, and then that was it. The least expensive version of that is $204. That's the least expensive version of this that you can get on vinyl. That's just a lot of money. I know I'm a cheap ass, and I talk about this all the time. But this is a record that should not be reserved for people who are uber freaks about you know, British psych and late 60s mod and bands like the Hollies and the Left Bank and the Zombies and The Small Faces. This is a record that everyone should know about. I, I, my opinion is, if you know that, you know, you really love Odyssey and Oracle by the Zombies, or you really love uh, King Midas in Reverse by the Hollies or Bus Stop, or you really love Ogden's Knuck on Flake by um, The Small Faces, or you really love Cucumber Castle by the Bee Gees, where you you know you love any number of you know Fairport convention or whatever band you want to pull out of Britain in the 1960s. This record ought to be on par with those records. I think this record is fucking awesome and it's so sad that it's almost impossible to get a copy of it. I mean, it's like it was like 25 or35 dollars just to get a copy of this CD. Um, I would have to go back and do the research. It'd be a good idea, Matt, if you were a professional and did the podcast that you could do this and get it before um do your research before you started recording instead of after but i'm not even sure that this is available on iTunes i actually got this disc years ago from a friend i got like a burned copy uh come and find me feds i got a burned copy of this that a friend gave me and at the time i didn't even really think much of it and over the last few years i've just become like fucking obsessed with it and it's just not obsessed with it but i just i just love it and i i'm so sad that this this classic record is is, is, for all intents and purposes is unavailable right now on vinyl and it needs it needs to change and one of the things that happens in the record collecting community with these really expensive psych records is a lot of times they're just cute they have some angle or some hook but they're more interesting than they are listenable and that is not the case with would you believe this is a record that is really well written arranged sung played produced it's just really really fucking good and it's hard for me to believe that a record this good can go out of print. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to poke fun right now. I, if It seems hard for me to believe that there are 170-some different pressings of Kiss Alive. And that I have to spend 204 copies to get a copy of Would You Believe by Billy Nichols. That just seems wrong to me. And I know you Kiss lovers can fucking email me and tell me what a dick I am. Fine. Email me. Whatever. It's not even that I think KISS are that fucking terrible. I kind of think KISS are that fucking terrible. But my point is that you have this glut of stuff on the one hand by all these bands, and then I can't even fucking get a copy of Would You Believe, and I think that that is just a shame. So I'm asking you, please, when you put my Christmas wish list together, get somebody to reissue this fucking record. Everything else is getting reissued. Please, put it out. Billy Nichols, would you believe? I've been Matt Carlson. I've been a little more long-winded than I have been in these other episodes. I went, uh, I went over an hour today. I appreciate you sticking around. Again, find us online at waxandwaynemusic.com. That's where the blog action happens. You're going to see regular... Excuse me. Again, with the coughing and the hiccups. You're going to see regular posts almost every day, specifically during the week. Remember that I do have a job, so have some patience with me. I'll be putting up some news there. I'll be putting up some features. Remember that Dollar Bend Darlins is going up once a week. Episode 1, Buck Owens. Episode 2, Elton John. Go find those. See if you can find those records. But if you want to get more, hear some songs, see some videos, go to the website. You can also get some news on reissues, on stuff that's coming out, new records that are happening. You can also find us on Twitter, at Wax and Wayne Music. Please give us a follow. It's probably the most active place that I exist on social media with this thing. So come and find us building followers every day remember subscribe on iTunes give us a re uh, review give us uh, some stars make it look good it helps us get the word out to other people share this thing make sure you're letting the people in your life who love vinyl or who want to learn to love vinyl about our podcast and our blog you can also find us on Facebook search for wax and Wayne music once again I have been Matt Carlson and I have been thrilled I am thrilled i'm not i'm not i didn't used to be thrilled i still am thrilled to be here and be able to talk to you about records that i love records that i like and records that i can't stand and this week i was thrilled to talk to you about a bunch of records that i hope you go get and a record that i wish that somebody would put back out and we had a little t-swiz conversation and we talked about spotify a little bit too i think we got a lot done so thanks for uh thanks for listening and uh we'll see on the flip side take it easy It's a London social media.